Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Elixir Mix. Today on the panel, we have Alan Waima. Hello. And me, Adi Iyengar. We don't have Sasha today, so I will be hosting again. And we also don't have a guest, but we have a pretty interesting panelist topic today. Alan and I are going to talk about pedal stack and our experience with that. Uh, Alan's obviously more experienced here. And we also talk about, you know, things to keep in mind while using it, some cool features, some examples, and talk about some pitfalls. I'm frequently surprised at how many companies are running their apps in production without any way of knowing when things go wrong, or who are running them in production and not really having a way of knowing where things are slowing down. That's why I recommend that people use a service like AppSignal. AppSignal plugs into your application seamlessly, whether you're using Rails or Phoenix or something else, and provides you a way of knowing when things go wrong, when things are going slow, and what other problems your application may be facing so that you can fix them and provide a seamless user experience for those who are using your app. So whether you're starting a new app or working on an existing app, you should check out AppSignal and see how it can work for you. Go to AppSignal.com. That's A-P-P-S-I-G-N-A-L.com. So Alan, do you want to kick us off? I don't know where to even kick us off at. I think something that, so this kind of topic just came out of nowhere. I don't know what we're going to choose before this, but you and I both started talking about Tailwind because it's been a lifesaver, right? Totally. Actually, you know what I'd like to hear about because I've never really played with it, but I've seen a little bit of it is Bulma. And then we'll talk about why you decided to go from Bulma to Tailwind. I think that's a pretty interesting thing because people do use a lot of Bulma, even in Phoenix. And I know nothing about Bulma. Is it kind of like a bootstrap? We have all these components ready to be made and then you just kind of mix it in or... How does it work? Yeah, totally. <clears throat> it is that. So first, it's called Bulma because it's like, you know, a bunch of small components. It, it, the way it's designed, it's like the capsules. And if you're a Dragon Ball Z fan, Capsule Corp was owned by Bulma's father. That's why they named it Bulma. But yeah, it's very easy to use, very easy to define your styles in a central way, and also easy to override it to some extent, like kind of like Tableman, right? So very easy to adopt for a startup and like start building something very quickly. The community is very responsive. They have, I have asked at least four or five really big questions to the, in the community and the response was like very quick. Um, that was huge. And there's enough templates for Boma that you can, uh, you know, buy one, easily copy it and like, you know, use it for like a quick production app in, in, in a startup. So that, that's why we chose Boma. I call it Pebble Stack. <laughs> wrongly spelled pebble but yeah it it worked really well for us but i think once we started designing our own components more once they had a better designer like design based on how our users are using our app it made it very hard to make changes to it right and that's where tailwind really is amazing it's so easy to just add a class and boom make something happen and it works so well with alpine which whole purpose of that is to like change attributes of your components of your HTML tags based on some variable changing without using JavaScript. So yeah, uh, Tailwind's ability to you know just stack classes on top of each other with Alpine's ability to do that with zero JavaScript is just a match made in heaven. That's kind of a interesting thing that you're talking about because that's kind of what the negative part about Bulma is, I would say, is it's really weird. It's So if you don't have a design, I think Bulma and Bootstrap, these kind of things work out fine. But then the negative part is like, I don't know about Bulma because I haven't seen a lot of people using it, but everybody knows when you go to a bootstrap site that this is a bootstrap site immediately, right? Yeah. But the yeah the, the other thing too is that when you do have a design, if you do come from bootstrap, you spend most of your time just overriding classes, right? Which kind of right. kills the use of bootstrap. Yeah. I mean, Bulma is definitely not as bad as bootstrap in how flexible it is. And the whole architecture of components does make it, you know, 
easier to use and adopt. There's also a little bit more of a learning curve than Bootstrap as a result, right? Because it has more features that allow you to use all the different types of <laughs> uh, ways to make changes to your designs. But yeah, I mean, the flexibility of Tailwind is just like next level. Uh, the, there's, it's a lot more effort to create the initial design in Tailwind, right? That's a lot of investment. Also, a lot of effort to learn that and change your mind to think in a, in the Tailwind way. But once you're there, it's just hard to go back to like kind of, Alan actually was one of the big reasons, one of the three people I respect who was asking me to try Tailwind out. And in February, I finally made the change. And in March, mid-March, I was like, I got to move the other apps to Bulma too. Uh, sorry, Tailwind too. They, they cannot be in Bulma anymore. It's taking us way too long to make design changes. We are a startup. We want to be experimental. We want to react to every piece of data we get from users so we can, you know, release things faster. And Tailwind was so compatible with that kind of ideology. So, yeah, uh, I just can't imagine myself using something else right now. Yeah, that's a that's a pretty good point. I also, I guess you could say that's kind of the negative part about using Tailwind, right? It's like you have to build everything from scratch. But it is easier, right? I think what's kind of cool is... um. Isn't there something about uh, people always talk about like semantic UI kind of where you can see everything all in one spot? So if you have something there and you have like a, a class, like this is a button, but what does actually that button look like, right? That's kind of like one of the questions. It's like, okay, I have a button here, but what if this one button, I want to make it a different color? How's the order of importance actually work? And the interesting thing about Tailwind is that you can... You can is they promote this idea where you kind of put one class for every single property, and it makes things definitely easier to work with in terms of like you look at that HTML, you can see what is that thing, what color is it, what's the text color, all these different things, and so you can just tweak whatever you want. Now the negative is if you have a bunch of these buttons everywhere and you're not reproducing them using like a component style, then you're kind of in hell, right? Unless you go through and you start making these special classes, then you kind of go back to the original problem, right? Yeah, I mean. At least like, and that's where like the pedal comes in, right? With Phoenix and embedded HTML, even without using like any fancy components instead of just like rendering partial, it's pretty, makes that very simple. You know, being able to like reuse the same buttons everywhere. Yeah. One thing I use quite often is actually the, the class class stacking is that, you know, if you have a class that specifies a background or a width of a button and then add a class later, which ask a different background or width, it overrides that. <laughs> so your mo most of your button can still be standardized and if you want to override something, you can still change the class when you use that embedded HTML. Yeah, huge fan of that. What I also quite like too is the, the JITs. I know I talked to you about it before, but have you actually used the JIT before? I have not used the Tailwind JIT at all. No. Do you know what I'm talking about exactly or no? Uh, so it's just in time uh, is what well, JIT means, but I don't know yeah. how. Okay. Yeah, but I don't know what it means in Tailwinds. I would imagine it might be the classes that you define, the custom classes, but I'm, I'm very interested in learning more about it. Maybe we could talk more about the configuration that we can go on to the JIT, right? Yeah, you, sure. you probably know what I'm talking, you should know what I'm talking about about the JIT, but maybe you, you haven't heard it called that. So what's actually kind of cool too about Tailwind is that it's really, really super customizable, right? You have this configuration file. I think one of the first things I always do is start adding in all of the custom colors that I have from uh, from the branding from the website design. The hardest part about that one is coming up with names <laughs> because when you get the design, you just have the hex color and you're like, okay, I don't know what to use for this. But what's cool is that once you have the names put into to Tailwind configuration, you can use these wherever you want, right? So if you want this text, maybe you have like Acme Red, well, you could say text-acme-red and that will make the text color that Acme Red color. 
And you could say BG-Acme-Red, and that would make the background the Acme Red. And mm-hmm. it's just so intuitive. Once you get into the naming, the naming style, it's just so intuitive. It's crazy. And then they also have like text sizes pre-configured, but you can also override those using the configuration file. I haven't done too much overriding. I'm guessing you probably, you guys probably have done a lot more overriding than me, right? Have you done, guys done overriding or no? The configuration and themes is what you're talking about? Yeah, the themes and anything in the config file. Yeah, yeah. I mean, all the colors, all the font style and like font family, everything is in configuration. And when we make a change, we cha- make, make a change to the config. Yep. Yeah. Speaking of fonts, right? I can't tell you how many times I've had like, such a pain to deal with designers. I'm, I understand about the design stuff, but it is kind of painful when you're working with a style sheet and they say, oh, this stuff has to be, I don't know, open sans and this one has to be comic sans or whatever. Of course, you wouldn't use comic sans in real science or else they'll kill you. <laughs> but still, they, they want different fonts in different parts of the website. And sometimes it, it's hard to make to figure out, okay, where should I make this one, this one, and where should I make it that one? But like you said, you can add the font to the configuration for the theme. Think- and then it's easy just to say, okay, you want this one to be this one? Okay, easy. Blah, blah, blah. You just write the class name, it's done. It's just right. done. And it's so right. convenient. Yeah, totally. And also, I mean, the, and this is like a small thing, but it can make a big impact. Like instead of saying, hey, for titles, use this font in your config, you can call it title itself, right? So instead of using the font as a class name, you can, call, you can use the class name as the domain that you're using font for. Right. That, again, makes the rest of your HTML a lot easier to follow, like what you're talking about instead of like random font names in your HTML. Oh, yeah, definitely. But going back to config file, there's a lot more things you could do, too. Like I said, you can override like what is the XXL actually? What size is that? You can override the importance of like the because you can say, okay, on hover, make it this color on focus, make it this color. You can actually override the importance because sometimes you may say, okay. Yes, it's focused, but I want it if they mouse over it and it's focused that the focus is actually higher than the mouse over or that the mouse over is higher than the focus. You can actually override that too. It's crazy how much, like their documentation is super awesome and super nice and very clear. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, one thing we used, so at, not at my current company. Um, so one of the companies I advise, uh, well, I built their software, uh, the first uh, MVP, and they wanted a dark mode, right? And I remember it's called presets. Like it, it's a way for you to override the base Tailwind configuration with something. And there were like dark, semi-dark presets already built in, in Tailwind UI uh, and all that stuff. And you can just use that as a preset to also override the base Tailwind configuration. And instead of the base Tailwind, you have presets, which you can further override in your config, which is also really cool. Oh, yeah. Speaking of dark mode, right? Have you ever you seen the dark colon, all that stuff? You can specifically say if they're in dark mode, you can right. make it this color. Wow. that's Change the class. Yep. Yep. It's insane. Their documentation is just ridiculous. It's really, really good. <laughs> Wow, it's uh, really amazing. They talk about how to how to do all this kind of stuff. It's just nuts. Like they also have peer classes and group classes. So for instance, you can say, okay, if you have like a high level div and then you wanted to say, okay, make that high level div a certain color when I mouse over something on the inside of it, you could say like group. What is it? I forgot what the, what the thing is, but you can use groups and peers, which says like, okay, if my sibling is doing something, then I want to be doing something else. Like I want that design to be something else. I'm not familiar with that. Uh, to, to be honest, there's too much stuff in CSS. It's basically a whole other programming language. <laughs> I completely redid this form that was done all in JavaScript from a client and I just re-implemented it. And I use Phoenix Live View, obviously. 
for the form. But I wrote zero JavaScript and I managed to basically replicate. Oh, sorry, sorry. I did write one job. The only zero JavaScript I had to write was when I had to format a phone number. I wrote that with a Phoenix hook where you would start typing and then we would have American style, you know, the, the brackets and, and the hyphen. Right, right. But besides that, everything else is using CSS for like all like the making, like making text box turn red in case it's invalid. All the stuff is basically nice. using just Tailwind CSS. Insane. Nice. That's crazy. Super crazy. But kind of going back, so with the configuration, like you can get pretty far. But what happens, what you're gonna might what you may run into eventually, which I'm sure you ran into, is that using the base classes, you can only get so far. There's gonna be a time where it's like you need to have something very specific, like maybe the spacing has to be very specific or a very specific color only in one section for some weird reason. And there's two things you could do, right? You can one is that you can go back to the configuration file, you can add it. Two is that you can create a CSS class for it. Or three, which is what I've been doing, which is basically uh, using the JIT. So they have this thing called uh, the JIT, just in time compilation. What it actually does, it'll actually tailwind the binary, will actually run through all of your templates and only create classes that you actually use. So like we talked about before with with the uh, the colors, if you don't create a background with that Acme red, it never creates a BG-Acme-red. That oh, will never cool. be created. But what it does do is that you can create like, say say you want a specific font to be 12 pixels big. You could say text dash left square bracket, 12 px right square bracket. And that will dynamically say, oh, you want this text to be 12 pixel. It'll create that class based on the name of the class and then it'll read the class name and create the values for you within that class. You guys have never used that before? I have not used uh, the just-in-time before, but it makes sense. I mean, how would it work with like a dynamic attribute? Because the you know you, you know you can add like bg dash the like the, the theme color that you have specified right but that theme color is like kind of runtime right it does it compute those as well or does it like themes not do yeah that no just... it works it works definitely so for the oh, theme wow. i've done this actually quite a few times so over here i have in one of my projects text dash left square bracket what I call the pound symbol, right? The hash hashtag, as some younger kids call it. Right, right, right. Then they have the hex color and then the end one, and it creates it. Right. Hmm. And it even works for pseudo elements, right? So uh, we talked today about one of the things I have is like if something is required, I add a specific class. So I mean, have you done pseudo elements before with the after and adding stuff to it? I have not. I have not. Okay. So what I tend to do is like if something's like required, I add a pseudo element and I just add like a asterisk to it or maybe something else. And where is it? You can do that automatically. You could say, okay, after, so after is like the uh, the pseudo element, colon, and then content dash, and then square bracket, and then you can do a string of of a of a asterisk and then and square bracket. And that will create the class, which will add the content afterwards. Because you can use CSS to add content to things. Like I right. said, CSS is just basically another programming language. <laughs> All the stuff you could do with it, it's nuts. You look like shocked, I think. Yeah, I am. I'm actually uh, getting a few bookmarks here uh, from this conversation. That's one of the big reasons I wanted to talk about Feral Stack with you because uh, I know I'm gonna I'm gonna get a lot of bookmarks for sure. Yeah. So so when you guys were using Tailwind, Tailwind, you actually were creating separate classes for some things. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that we were standardizing was you know fonts and colors and all that stuff. And for the most part, we were creating separate classes. Uh, the, I think the something like the JIT is just a way to simplify the you know loading of all the classes you know to make sure not all the classes are loaded so yeah it would just add to what we're doing i think one thing would be i'm also curious how it would work with the, C the css variables that's something we use for in a couple instances as well in tailwind because some of our styles are still shared with a boma pack uh, uh, app and we want to use that css we want to use that css variable so i wonder if 
I'm pretty sure that won't work with Jet. It would not make sense if it worked. But but yeah, our Tailwind usage has been very uh, mostly how you would expect with classes and for besides uh, standardized things and config, it's mostly stacking classes on top of each other. We do use Alpine instead of, like you were saying, using Tailwind to do some of the relatively complex animations and stuff like that, like, you know, um, changing colors and stuff like that. But uh, we, yeah, probably can use CSS for <laughs> that as well. But yeah, that's pretty much the limits to our Tailwind usage. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood. I'm excited because I wanted to let you know about this thing that I pulled together that I had just I've been dying to have this for years and I never felt like I could. And then I just realized that there's no reason why I can't. So um, I'm putting together a book club and we're going to read development focused books, career books, you know, uh, technical books, whatever. The first book that we're going to do is going to be Clean Architecture by Uncle Bob Martin. If you're not familiar with Clean Code or some of the other stuff that Bob has done, check that out. I've also talked to him on the Clean Coders podcast, which is on Top End Devs. But uh, yeah, we're going to get on. He's going to show up to some of our meetings. And what I'm thinking is we'll probably have like five or six people uh, part of the conversation along with Bob and I at the same time. And we'll just uh, so somebody can come on, they can ask their question. And then we'll just rotate people through. So we'll we'll mute one person, unmute another person when it's their turn to come on and, and be part of the discussion. So we'll do that for like an hour, hour and a half. And then the other part of it that I'm putting together is just kind of a meet and greet gather area on Gather Town. And so after the the meetup and the call, what we'll do is we'll all go over to Gather Town and you can just log in, walk up to a group and have a conversation. And that way we can all kind of get to know each other and and make friends and, and get to know people across the world. Uh, one thing that I'm finding is that, yeah, the meetups are starting to come back, but a lot of people don't have the opportunity to go to a meetup. And I really want to meet you guys and talk to you. So we're going to put all that together. It'll all be part of that book club. You can go to topendevs.com slash book club to be part of it. And I'm looking forward to seeing you there. The first book club meeting will be in December, the beginning of December. We're starting the first week of December. and um, you'll also be part of the conversation about which book we do next. I have one in mind, but I want to see where everybody's at. So there you go. Uh, this is a pretty good question for you. I've seen a lot of people, and I think there's a blog post on Fly.io where they talk about taking the Alpine, taking the A out of Pedal. Have you seen there's a big movement of people taking the Alpine out of Oof, Pedal? I have not. I I would. I'm not gonna lie. I think it's gonna be very hard for me to think of, of building front ends without that. But I'm very curious to learn more about it. Yeah, they have a specific article all about that, and I was curious if you actually. I mean, I would actually like to hear. I mean, since you're learning so much about Tailwind from me, I want to hear more about Alpine from you because I have been trying to figure out. So with the new Phoenix Live View, right? One of the things that you couldn't do before was, uh, you know, dynamically showing and hiding modals and these kind of simple, simple things, which I think Alpine was great for, right? Like just showing and hiding a sidebar. Now you can use that. You can use, like they have this JS thing, right? I forgot what the name is exactly. And you can add and remove classes. So now what is, what, I mean, what can I, what can Alpine do that you cannot do with just regular Tailwind and the new uh, JavaScript stuff added in from Phoenix? Yeah, how I actually don't know how. Do you know how the Phoenix live the live? So it's Phoenix live your JS module. We're talking about right the JS. Yeah, the JS one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually don't know how that works under the hood. Does it actually add? Does it generate JavaScript? Right, like I don't know how that works. If 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 it, it is, does, I believe like, if, I believe it. I believe it generates it generates some hooks or something. 
So all you can do is add classes, remove classes, set attributes, remove attributes, show, hide, toggle, transition, and dispatch custom events to elements. Right. There's a dispatch as well, right? And yeah. that really, that makes the hooks so much simpler. But yeah, so one big place where we use Alpine is we we built our own calendar scheduling thing. We needed our scheduling process for the startup I used to work for uh, was very complex, right? We had to use a calendar library, uh, which was written in JavaScript. Alpine was a great way to communicate with that JavaScript at the client le- client level itself, where based on certain things when you react, Alpine gives you the ability to change something and also call JavaScript right there, the attribute level, right? I mean, that made our code very simple. So basically, how we built this was the live view was changing the dates of the calendar and changing the view. If it's a week view, view, day view, or month view, right? Alpine would react to that and send events to the JavaScript without using JavaScript, right? The calendar that was initializing JavaScript, and that would change the UI. So it's a good way to communicate with other client libraries without using much JavaScript, which I don't think you can do with Phoenix. You have to go to server and dispatch somehow, which is unnecessary. Well, they do have the ability to send events directly to the front end. Have you seen that before? There's a send event, Um, I believe. I've seen it. Oh, sorry, push event. Push event. Yeah. So basically, you can push events from the back end to the front end. So it's kind of like piggybacking on, well, they're already piggybacking on Phoenix channels, right? Right. So yeah, it's this push event, you send the socket and then you send the name of the event along with the payload. And then the other hand, you can say this handle events from a hook. Right. And then, uh, can, yeah. Got it. So so the Phoenix dash click will send event directly to the front end is what you're saying from the back end. Uh, sorry, can you say it again? So like, for example, if a button, if you, based on like you select a button and you want to use, you want a JavaScript to react to that button, you would use J, uh, the JS dot push event to that element is that what you're saying? Oh no 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 no! I think I think you're you're maybe I wasn't clear in my in my what I wanted to say. What I'm talking about is imagine having your your users just sitting there looking at a chart, and you wanted to push an update of some data over a live view connection from the back end. Gotcha. You can push data just like you push an event using Phoenix channels. Mm-hmm. The same thing. This is push event, and you can push right. data. So that's without right, any I mean, interaction you, at all on the front end. Right, but you, right, but so this was something that we wanted front end to react to, which I'm sure you can still do. But I think the problem was we needed to send it. We the event that we push we needed to talk to a component that can be updated using JavaScript. Mm-hmm. Right. So we had this JavaScript variable that needed the updates to be sent. Right after reacting to a front end and making changes to it. So then, I, okay, so use yeah. the hook to, to start the process then, right? Yes, a Phoenix click or some Phoenix hook, yes. Okay, so you can use, so you use Phoenix, you use a Phoenix hook to then dial back into Alpine? Yes, so Phoenix hook makes a change to an attribute which is hidden, right? And based on how that attribute changes, Alpine, there's also an attribute that the live view writes. Alpine reads the results of those attributes and sends the results of the hidden attributes through simple JavaScript. But since you could react so easily based on those changes with Alpine, it made it very easy to, like, again, it took us like two hours to build that entire calendar library, which is pretty crazy. Okay, I think I have, I I think I know what you're talking about because I did do quite a bit of Alpine before, but I think you guys are the Alpine experts compared to me. I just, I, the best thing I could do was like the showing and hiding was most of my work I had to do. (laughs) Dude, you got me into Alpine, so. (laughs) Now you got me guilty. Yeah, but you you outshine the master if you want to put me up that high. 
Yeah. I mean, what we use Alpine for is basically showing and hiding models and showing and hiding the mobile menu. What else have we done? Right. We may have done some dispatching with it, but I, I can't think of that. But I think also like some... The other thing we did do too is that we 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 had a page that... We had Flask. I think you've heard of Flask before, right? Mm -hmm. So it's we have... Python? Yeah, yeah, Python. So we have one thing that... We're, we're actually slowly moving everything over to Phoenix right now. But it was originally written in Flask and it was just a straight like page where people had to enter in some data. And so we just wrote everything with Alpine for like validations and stuff. And it was super straightforward, super simple, just Tailwind and Alpine. And it was right. beautiful, obviously beautiful looking. And also it worked and it made life super simple for us. And so I learned quite a nice. bit about how to do, you know, X data everywhere. And anyway, so it was fun. It was definitely easier than working with Django and Flask and Python stuff. So that was pretty nice. Right. Ooh. One thing I like about Alpine is the X on, right? So not the X show, right? So just completely don't even render the element based on something, right? So I think that's something I don't think the JS Phoenix.liveview.js has yet. <laughs> Actually, the really weird thing about this X on stuff, right, is they also have like shortcuts. So actually X on is the at symbol, right? Yeah. Is it X on I'm talking about? Uh, let me let me remember. I, I think it's, it, so. X I don't on, think X on has an at on symbol. I think click has one. No, but yeah. I don't think X. Well, on, it's X on colon click. Right. I think I might. Be, oh, my my bad. I'm talking about X if shoe. I'm talking about X if. That's a big difference. Not X on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. It's fine. Yeah, I'm. Yeah, yeah that's uh, well. That's how I use for showing and hiding stuff. Yeah. So if it's that's true, X show. X so if. X show just shows and hides. X if doesn't even render it. So you have to use something called template uh, yeah, yeah. as element. Mm -hmm. So I th that's a huge difference. We have had use cases with Alpine where we did not even want to render something based on something uh, and want to render it based on you know reacting on certain things. And I think this was super useful. And what it, it also does is it also, every time you update the variable that you're using as XF, it would call that. So it's a way for also checking that not more than one of the elements is rendered as well. So it was actually really cool kind of like side benefit of XIF. So for XIF, if you, I mean, I'm looking at the documentation, I, I see what you're saying now. There's a lot of stuff in Alpine, right? So you guys can laugh at me. I, I forget most of the stuff because I haven't worked with Alpine in a while. But the template XIF, so if if XIF is true, then basically the template tag will go away and then you'll see that data there. Otherwise, XIF will just hide it, right? Right. And I think you actually have to, and if I remember correctly, I remember this now. So then XIF, you actually have to write a class for XIF and say, if this is, if there's an XIF here, then display none or something, right? A class? No. Yeah, for one, no, hold on a second. Maybe, maybe not XIF then. There's another one here. Man, I remember this one. They said that if you, or XINIT, I think it is. No, not XINIT. Yes. Is well, XINIT is also, you don't need a class for that, but that's also really cool. That's, yeah, that's also something we use very heavily. Man, what is it? No, one of these, one of these you actually need because it's to, for sure, I remember this one. One of these, you actually have to have something there. I think, is it, is it X Cloak? Yeah, X Cloak is the one. Yes, Cloak. Yes, Cloak needs a class. Yep. Yeah, so X Cloak needs a class. Yeah, so this is like, mm -hmm. when you first start off, you have to hide it, right? Right. And then they remove X Cloak once everything's been initialized. Yep. Okay, see, I told me I, I, yeah. I was wrong, but no, I remember this because I was like, yeah, yeah, you got to do this. Oh, you were wrong about X. About if, which one? But I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I There's more. There is more X's that need that work well in conjunction with a specific class as well. Mm. But yeah, the X in it one also mentioned that's actually what we use. Uh, as I was mentioning the live view part, it's really cool when you use that with X if right. In that way, whenever 
an, uh, an element is rendered, you can call a JavaScript function. It's so cool, right? If you put it inside a template and put x if uh, x in it on the template, every time a template is re-rendered, you can call a JavaScript function. It just makes life so easy. <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, anyway, I just don't see this getting replaced by Phoenix uh, LiveView.js anytime soon. This is just well. That's yeah, what I wanted it, to hear from you about what you can do, what you cannot do, because like I talked to quite right. a few people, and they're like, some people said that you cannot even use like. Right now, Alpine is not actually able to be fully used with the latest version of LiveView. I heard that from a couple of different people. I, yeah, I see your face. Maybe maybe there's something wrong. Maybe there's it's been fixed. I don't know. Like I did see, I talked to Mark Erickson. He actually sent me a link a while back about this problem. Um, We're running in production. We're running the latest version of LiveView and Alpine production right now. Something like that. I have to check out. It might be a very specific use case or maybe the way they used it. Yeah, we have a pretty complex use case for the Parallel Stack with our, with our couple of production apps and it's running really well. At least I hope so. <laughs> Yeah, I have to check. So I think this is also a good kind of, not a good, but a decent segue into why not, when not to use Perl Stacks and why not to use Perl Stacks because we're also running yeah. uh, short on time. So Alan, when would you not use Perl Stack? Oh, when would I not use Perl Stack? I mean, if I just wanted to render some HTML, I, I obviously wouldn't be using Perl Stack. I, I still tend to actually like using that they call it dead views for most things. I feel they're pretty simple dead. to use. It, you know, dead views is basically the opposite of a live view, right? So controller it, with a, <laughs> they call them. Dead I views. never heard that before. Really? Got I, it. I always I heard like that, that from from uh, Chris from Chris McCord. Yeah, I have been not plugged into the community because of my startup for last year, but dead view, I love it. Yeah, awesome, makes sense. Yeah, I think I mentioned it before. Like, I most of our live views actually all, but with an with exception of two, uh, we use it. We live render the live view in a template that's rendered with a, through a controller. So the live view doesn't have a route in the router. That we don't use, like, I think it's called live mount or something. We don't use that. We use actual controller session. And every time live view gets updated, we check the session. I didn't, uh, when, I, when I started building this, I don't think we had like the live session step. It wasn't ready. The new live session that allows you to check session in live view. Um, and I was scared that with healthcare, if you're updating data real time and someone signed out and stuff, we don't want to push updates anymore, right? We want to check every time if they're logged in or not. And that also allowed us to implicitly add like a logout as well, logout timer, you know, auto logout. So it worked out really well for us. LiveView is great for that. LiveView is also great for like a loading page, very lightweight, very simple loading page. LiveView was great for that too, like a dynamic loading page. So yeah, those are great. But I think besides... You're right. If you're running a very simple HTML, yeah, go the regular control route. Don't even use LiveView at all. Tailwind and Alpine, I just, I am quite married to those two. I don't think I will. I, I right now don't see a reason to ever use anything else unless someone forces that on me. Yeah, I, since I started working with Tailwind, yeah, I, I can't imagine. I'm trying to push on other people right now, but it takes time. Like I got one project with just tons of CSS classes everywhere and of course we're using scss and it's huge and people are keep complaining about it so i've been trying to push them in that direction so they start off with semantic ui and they're just overriding classes right now right so i show them there's something called headless ui have you seen that one it's basically like super simple like react templates and they're basically plain and they're waiting for they're made from tailwind labs right so they they're they're nice. made for tailwind so they're supposed to be like super simple to style i guess i don't know so uh, I, I'm going to push them in that direction uh, eventually. Cool. Awesome. See, I, I knew I was going to get a lot of bookmarks. I got six here. Great. Awesome. Well, you're the one with all the practical knowledge, right? So this thing comes to you with some practical knowledge. I mean, for me, I just read everything and 
<laughs> master of reading and 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 practitioner of nothing basically i mean that's important it's all it's important to also get i mean you only get practical knowledge after you have theoretical knowledge so i'm, I'm yeah super excited to try all of these things out i was going to say one more thing yes one thing to consider with live view it's not relevant for 99% of the cases but is scale with websockets always something you should keep in mind we reached i think 60000 concurrent users at one point and it started giving us troubles we had uh, app signal monitoring our p95s and they were exceeding 800 milliseconds <laughs> so it really so it never crashed thanks to phoenix right but the load on the server started exceeding and then hence load on the database started exceeding because of the nature of how live view works you might because of the way also live view is written you can use a different adapter you could use already built adapter for polling as well and for certain very heavy load and decrease the polling interval that might be better than a websocket live connection between every client and a server another thing that might which might be even better might be build your own adapter which we we did for live view which is a combination of websockets based on server load loading and caching so it's very easy to build the way live view is built is easy to build an adapter and do stuff like that we haven't yet had a chance to release this adaptive based version yet but it's i think it'll be ready in like the next uh, two weeks but anyway that's also something to keep in mind um it's something i was asked during an interview like when you would not use phoenix live view and this was also one of the answers that they found in cycle so yeah yeah like you said not to mention it cuz you do get like double page loads right so for like they they could be like if you had like a thousand people during the same time like you said could right. pummel your database yep yep yeah i mean i think again phoenix uh, phoenix and poolboy the what ecto uses to manage their connection pools together are very very robust right so even though you have like 20 connections you can probably handle 60,000 concurrent users right but as you start going the 100,000s millions you would have to start considering i mean websocket is just not the right solution at that point right like a live websocket is not the right solution you might need some kind of caching or some kind of you know um way to balance that load yeah phoenix i'm sure we'll hit that soon there's some big companies like the score discord is thinking about live view for their uh, some of their features and there's a couple of the startups big time startups using live view as these companies grow and scale at they're already in the millions as they grow more i think phoenix team will start thinking about these uh, problems more and more but that was again an interesting experience because this is the first time i built a live view where we had more than 10,000 people use it in a day yeah i had an issue with live view when it first came out where it wouldn't force like if it reconnected we wouldn't force a full page reload Uh, this was like way a long time ago and i built a feature for a client with it and they had it like on their computer and yeah anyways so that was uh, the issue i had okay so we should probably transition over to pics have you ever wished that you had a group of people that were just as passionate about writing code as you are i know i did i did that for most of my career i'd go to the meetups i try and create other opportunities and it was just really hard right the meetups i got some of that but they were only like once or twice a month and it was just really hard to find that group of people that i connected with and and really wanted to you know talk about code a lot right i mean i love writing code i think it's the best and so i've decided to create this community and create it a, a worldwide community that we can all jump in and do it so we're going to have two workshops every week one of those or two of those every month are going to be Q&A calls right where you can get on you can ask me or me and another expert questions uh the rest of them are going to be focused on different aspects of career or programming or things like that right so it'll go 
anywhere from like deployments and containers all the way up to managing your 401k and negotiating your benefits package. We'll, we'll cover all of it. Okay. And then we're also going to have meetups every month for your particular technology area. So we have shows about JavaScript, React, Angular, Vue, and so on. We're going to have meetups for all of those things. I'm going to revive the freelancer show. We'll have one about that, right? So you can get started freelancing or continue freelancing if that's where you're at. And I'm working on finding authors who can actually do weekly video tutorials on something for 10 minutes that's related, again, to those technology areas so that you can stay current, keep growing. So if you're interested, go to topendevs.com slash sign up and you can get in right now for $39. When we're done, that price is going to go up to $75. And the $39 price gets you access to two calls per week. The, the full price at $150, which is going to be $75 over the next few weeks, that price is going to get you access to all of the calls and all of the tutorials and everything else that we put out from Top End Devs along with member pricing for our remote conferences that are coming up next year. So go check it out, topendevs.com slash sign up. You have a pick? I, oh my God, I don't have a pick actually. Yeah, I mean, I have a, I have an anti-pick, like something not really, I'm going to really encourage you to not give it a try and and somewhat of a pick. This, the anti-pick is the oh my god i even forgot the name it's so bad the the lord of the rings tv show on uh, prime i finally got a chance to watch it what's the name um don't watch it it's terrible that's what i just just don't watch it did you pick it is is that what i hear that's the anti-pick don't watch sorry sorry the anti-pick yeah yeah the pick is uh, actually one of the other franchises reboot kind of is uh, house of dragon which is game of thrones uh, reboot on hbo so watch it it's good so adi's gotta hop off but my pick is I'm actually in the process of writing some material about the pedal stack. Uh, again, this is kind of not really picked out from before. This is something I've been working on for some time. It just so happened that when Adi came back, I had I had worked on it and found some cool stuff with uh, pedal stack. Or sorry, I found some really cool stuff with Tailwind, and I was talking to him about it, and he got excited. He wanted to talk about you know Tailwind and stuff. But again, so I'm actually writing some material about pedal stack and. In order to kind of get that out there, I created a website where people can sign up and be on the mailing list. And I'm going to start sending out some of that material to people. So if you're interested in Pedal Stack and kind of what we talked about today, of course, with some definitely more put together, more clear about how you can use Pedal Stack, go ahead and sign up. The link is thepedalstack.com. So it's T-H-E-P-E-T-A-L-S-T-A-C-K.com. So if you're interested in hearing more about Pedal Stack, uh, go ahead and sign up there and I'm going to start sending out some material pretty soon. And with that, uh, Adi's already gone. He has something to do. And so with that, see you guys next time. Thanks. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.